0: Welcome to the Womb Wisdom Podcast. My name is Holly Lever, and I'm the owner and operator of Rosebud Wellness, where I practice women's holistic health, utilizing acupuncture, Chinese herbalism, yoni steaming, Arvigo abdominal massage, and the fertility awareness method. This podcast will be part conversations with women who are mothers or hope to be mothers on their journey through menstruation, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and motherhood, and part information about the holistic health practices that I use in my practice. Please enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. I am very excited to announce that I have a couple of new products available at the Rosebud Wellness shop. So one is a full moon rose abdominal massage oil, and the other one is a new moon lavender abdominal massage oil. So each of them are made with jojoba oil and the flowers that they have inside of them. And then the full moon one is set out under the light of the full moon and the new moon is set out under the darkness of the new moon so that they absorb that energy at those different times. And I also wanted to mention that you can use my coupon code, which is womb, W-O-M-B, at checkout to receive 10% off your first order. So also don't forget that I have my Yoni Steam herb blends available there, these two new massage oils, and then you can also use that coupon code for a Yoni Steam or any kind of consult with me. So uh, that's rosebudwellness.com slash shop and use the code WOMB, W-O-M-B, at checkout. At
1: least
2: Gracias. somewhere we'll have it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Absolutely. So we're, we're both recording. Great. Yeah we got this. So today um, we're going to be working through what was what we call your first birth story and that is not the birth story of your daughter. Okay. <laughs> That's going to be actually the birth story. You. Really? Hi baby girl. Great. mommy I love you
0: sweetheart
2: she there's no lock on this door so oh, she busts in fine. sometimes yeah no it's fine my kids walk into my kids in here eating an ice cream it's about to fall <laughs> on the ground and the dog's gonna eat it perfect in a
1: second yeah I can mom, see it happening mom in life. Life. <laughs> I
2: was like I can totally see that happening in the moment now the dog's like but wait I need to get out so that I can get that ice cream because like that ice cream is much more interesting than sitting in here with mom
1: absolutely
2: yeah so anyway um, you were saying yeah so we're going to be tracking your very first birth story so before we do that i want to get us into a nice like good space because Mm -hmm. you're just starting your day Mm -hmm. i'm at the end of my day totally different sides of the planet not so much but you know across an ocean Mm -hmm. and a lot of land Mm -hmm. and um so i'm just going to have us close our eyes for a moment and just do a little bit of a guided visualization relaxation. Just go ahead and drop into your breath now. And just feel how the breath passes over your
1: nostrils. On an inhale, warms against the back of your throat.
2: And then on an exhale, you feel that air warmer as it passes back through your nostrils and exits the body. This time on the inhale, see if you can track the breath towards moving down into at least the upper upper lobes of your lungs. And on the exhale, the breath once again releases from the body, the body prepared to take in its next inhale. And the next inhale comes in and you start to feel the ribs expanding circumferentially 360 degrees, taking in more breath into the lungs. And as you exhale, you release out anything that was burdening you or preoccupying you before you sat down on this call. Inhaling fully again, and this time moving the breath into the lower lobes of the lungs, expanding your diaphragm. Perhaps you're going to feel the breath moving down into the pelvic floor, pelvic floor diaphragm opening up. Feel that space between the inhale and the exhale, and then
1: exhale the breath out. So we'll take three more breaths like
2: this and I want you to go ahead and see, without really stopping too much between the inhale and the exhale, just see if you
1: can notice that gentle pause.
2: Then you can move back into your normal breathing now, but seeing if the breath,
1: a little bit more depth to it.
2: yogic philosophy it said that healing occurs between this
1: inhale and the exhale and the exhale and the inhale
2: Then in a moment, I'm going to ring the meditation bell. You're gonna let me know you're ready
1: just by opening your eyes. This dog is very naughty whenever I get on here he's like mom is
2: busy what are you on about don't do that it's like yeah no your attention can't be anywhere else it's like a toddler right like my daughter (laughs) yes very much (laughs) Go, be on your way go tell go get that to daddy go give your toy to daddy so to go ahead and we'll get started talking about this um, first birth story. And what I want you to try to do this entire time as we're going through this is to try to maintain the perspective of a childlike mind. So it's very easy for us to start looking back on things and interpreting things from the story that you have created over all of these years, right? Um, And the narrative that you have about that first birth story probably is, could be influenced now by a lot of different things that you've experienced in your life and basically layered on top of that. So what we're trying to do is to peel back all of those layers and place you into that time and space where you experienced your very first birth story that makes sense totally yeah yeah so there was a time way back way back in the day when little holly was born and came here and you were a child and you knew nothing about birth now even if your mother was a midwife there was a time when you knew nothing about birth right And during this brief time of like pureness, wordlessness, you really, you know, were kind of creating language and learning language and learning how to communicate. You had no concepts, no preconceptions, no preferences. You had no fears about birth. You had no real understanding of the cyclical nature of birth, life, death, and potentially rebirth, depending on what your tradition is, right? You were a clean slate, tabula rasa. And eventually you mastered your mother tongue. You started learning it. And then you could understand stories. And the way that we actually make sense of the world as a child is actually through the telling of story. We are told stories all the time of Aesop's fables. We're told the story of Little Red Riding Hood, right? Um, All of these fairy tales that we learn really were a way of actually putting some sort of teaching into a story placement so that we would be able to understand them and integrate them and learn from them. This is why they were all they were ever created in the first place. It wasn't just as a way to entertain. There was always some little tidbit of something in there that had a rule in there that we should follow as children. Now whether or not we agree with those rules as adults is completely irrelevant. But when we're a child, we don't really have the capacity that an adult has to kind of navigate and negotiate those rules, restrictions, and that that have been imposed on us, right? So um, this is when you were going, you were starting to learn, though, about your world and how your world worked. And so perhaps when Holly was a teen or a tween, or maybe even younger, depending on your family dynamics and what y'all discussed, you um, heard a story related to birth now it could be that you were had had a sibling who was going to be born maybe there was a friend in the family do you see this foolishness i'm gonna get it another... i can
0: feel it because i'm so used to my daughter climbing on me like
2: that <laughs> oh now, jeff can you my talk? body is her body okay. yeah it is it is and he does this he's such a child that way yeah it's a dad. And like it's just really good. Yeah. I love him to death, but he doesn't he, he doesn't do it unless I'm on a call or something. It's so weird. It's like a kid.
0: Yep. So I need attention, exactly.
2: Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yes. So back to Holly. And so you heard a story about birth. Maybe you witnessed a birth. Um it may have been something that you saw on TV. For those of us who were raised in a Christian tradition, the nativity was actually one of the first births that we actually learned about, oddly enough. Kind of an interesting way to learn about birth because it was this Virgin Mary type thing, right? If you grew up in a Catholic Catholic tradition like I did. Um, but these are all the different ways that we learn about these things, the narratives that are created for us and that we start adopting. And, at some point, you started to create your own idea of what birth was like. And so that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna track back to that first birth for you, um, because it can leave a re- leave a really deep impression that can then influence how we approach our own births and how we interpret our own births and what is expected of us how we interpret how the birth unfolded and the rules that we place on ourselves as we're moving through these thresholds one right? of the biggest thresholds being becoming a mother mm-hmm. um so we're going to close our eyes again but i want you to know that this does not have to be like when it comes up it doesn't have to be the very first birth story it has to be the one that is almost the most salient to you. The one that really sticks in your mind. Does that make sense? That comes to mind first. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's go ahead and close our eyes again. And I want you to just kind of settle back into the mind and body of young Holly. And I'm not sure how old Holly was at this time. It's not really important. But I want you to place yourself into that space where Holly witnessed or heard
1: about this journey of birth for the first time. And see
2: if any felt images start to come to mind, if there's any visceral
1: experience. Notice any images that you see in the mind's eye. You don't have to to answer them now, but just take note of things like how old you might've been.
2: How did you see it from the child mind as opposed to how the adult mind might experience it?
1: Feel into your body the emotional and
2: visceral reaction to the story or the images in your head. What did you feel as a child
1: learning of birth for the first time? As a child with the understanding of a child about the world in birth, what did you tell yourself about the characters in this story? So as I mentioned, these first birth stories are actually where we begin
2: to form ideas images, beliefs, and preferences, often known as rules around birth. Inevitably, you actually began forming your very first birth plan. Now, these rules are not only going to be rules that you apply in birth, but rather they become very universal and generalized in nature. And we'll look at those in just a moment. Just see if you can bring one or two of them to the surface. Maybe you have more.
1: And I'll know you're ready again when you go ahead and open your eyes.
2: Righty. So how easy was it for you to bring a birth story to mind? Very easy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you want to share what that one was? You don't have to.
0: I mean, the... I guess the first thing that came up was a sensation in my body, which was like crippling anxiety feeling just like, you know, sort of butterflies in my stomach, throat closing up, which is a feeling I'm very familiar with in my life. Um, But that was it. I felt really hot. Um, And then I, it wasn't really like a specific linear story um, but it was sort of just these like pockets of images that are kind of linear in a way of like this is what happens and then this happens and then this happens but aren't from a specific story that somebody told me Um, but I would say the things that stand out is that you're out in public and you're super pregnant and your water breaks either at the grocery store or at a restaurant. (laughs) Um, we saw that as children. We totally saw that on all the 100%. Years. And that's definitely from movies, not from my lived experience. Um, so that happens and it's a, an emergency and you race to the hospital, everybody's screaming and crying. And the woman is saying, I hate you to her husband. He's completely unsupportive and crazed. Um, and then that kind of transitioned into my own birth story of me being born to my mother, um, which I I don't know if maybe it's appropriate for me to share about that. Okay, cool. Um, So from, and this is from stories that I've heard that it was like a rush to the hospital. I was almost born in the car. um, And then my dad was like passing out from anxiety and fear and um, completely unsupportive to my mother and all of the medical care is just kind of peripheral in my mind they're not supportive and I've I've never been to a hospital actual birth before so I I'm not this is not like saying that's true
2: um no and it doesn't matter if it's true or not I'm gonna
0: yeah I'm gonna drop back in I'm getting heady and thinking about how people are gonna think of me so
1: um this is safe so yeah people medical
0: care is peripheral not supportive the woman is in and in this time it's my mother is in excruciating pain alone laying on her back and I'm sort of just like ripping her open like it's not beautiful it's painful and Horrible and like an injury almost, and then the baby is rushed, whisked away. I ingested meconium, so that's like a thing that I always think about when I think about birth. Um, is that the baby's whisked away, you know, there's all this technology and uh unfamiliar hands and voices and smells and sights and um it's terrifying. I guess yeah. I'm in the baby now, like I am the baby. Yeah. Cold and like gloved hands. Um like fast not loving nurturing touch. Um and then I'm then the babies return to the mother. And her thoughts are like, I ruined my life. Um yeah, like I don't want this.
1: <sighs>
2: um how does that feel in your body right now when you sit with that? Where are you feeling
1: that? Mm. I guess mostly my throat. And my chest. Yeah. Let's just sit with that. Mm -hmm. It's a really valid feeling to have about all of this. It's okay to feel that way. Take some deep breaths into those areas. So that was a narrative that you heard, and that you experienced,
2: and it is a narrative that is really firmly ingrained inside of you.
1: Where
2: mm-hmm. did you have your baby? Did you have your baby at home? Yes. Yeah. You're like, yeah. I wasn't going to that hospital. No, way. I did.
1: I did that too. Yeah. Don't.
2: Worry. Yeah. Yeah. what are so if you go through let's break down those that story that you told me about what are some of so if we look at holly as a child what are some of the rules that she might have learned from that experience that she Mm. then would hold on to later on that perhaps you continue to implement into your life
0: yeah um i mean yeah there was always the narrative of the fast labor and, um, yeah, just me kind of being, like, uh, really hyper and active and not in a good way in, like, a why can't you just be content and calm and why do you need so many things? And um, so... You,
2: so- you need to be content and calm. You must be content and calm.
1: Mm, Control,
2: or is it controlling how you're acting or feeling?
0: Yeah, it, it was kind of like you're over the top. Like you're too much of everything. Mm-hmm, yeah. Like emotionally, physically, like you just need to be, yeah, like quiet and um, yeah, I guess calm. Yeah. It didn't feel like quite right, but yeah, I guess maybe that is. No, but
2: I, I kind of get that though,
1: mm-hmm. that
2: however you are, isn't okay. Mm-hmm. And what would it be expected of you is that you be kind of this, whether it's even, I don't know what you want to call it, like even kill, mm-hmm. very kind of chill, what someone else would call chill, but however you were being expressive with whatever it was, your needs, whatever, that wasn't okay. Exactly. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like too dramatic, like tone it down a notch. Yes,
0: 100%. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. That is an ongoing
1: assessment. <laughs>
2: say, this yeah. is something you hear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's something that must be really challenging because that's who you are. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, I mean, see- someone's interpretation of over the top that's that's a judgment that someone places on it but all you are is yourself like
0: yeah I mean I I think that there's other people that have celebrated it over the years that have kind of shifted yeah um it being but yeah I would say within the context of young holly it was not celebrated at home or at school um you know where that's what you do you sit down and be quiet and yeah
2: yeah i think when we were so i'm a bit older than you because in my mid-40s right but i think that in general when we were growing up um there was the idea that even though we would celebrate things of a person as an adult as a child we thought that those things should not be cultivated at all Mm -hmm. like a child who speaks her mind right and who kind of disagrees with things we might say like when you grow up yeah if you see an injustice happen i don't want you to sit sit aside like speak up but if a child does it, we hear they're talking back or we say they're not following the rules or disrespecting their elders. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so that's why you will often see this difference between, and it's usually it's because of a power dynamic that we have is that we experience between adults and children, right? When an adult believes that they don't have the control over the child in a certain way and that's just kind of how our society's been. Do you know what I mean? As opposed to it being, I don't want to say on an equal footing, but being able to navigate that adult child relationship in a more um, supportive way.
0: Well, I think it's also a personality thing of the parent or whatever caregiver that if they kind of don't have that inside of them they just like don't understand or know what to do
2: with it um
0: yeah I think
2: that's it's that way for a lot of people because that personality that you're talking about yours it feels really overwhelming to some but that's that person's thing and not yours does that make sense yeah totally i mean i
0: think that um intellectually i have made that assessment also but i think in the moment um yeah it's it's really challenging to just be told like i wish you could just be like this like you know, like everybody else. And it's sort of like, you think you're so special or, you know, something like that, that I, yeah.
1: Um,
0: yeah, I think it's important to have humility and, and not think you're better than other people. But I think it's important to also recognize that different people have, yeah, different personalities that, Aren't wrong or bad, but are just different. So,
2: yeah, yeah. Your authenticity and who you are is going to look different from other people's. And not, none of those is wrong or right. It's just who you are. Mm-hmm.
1: Right.
2: And we're always growing and shifting in that way. And, but who you are is an outgoing or like, I don't know. Some people might call the word bubbly. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So that's a really that's a do you think that rule is one that has applied to other parts of your life?
1: Um I mean
0: I think that I've been fighting to try to be myself for my whole life and I've had um yeah a lot of periods of time especially when I'm separated from my family system um geographically substantially geographically um that I tend to do the best yeah and um I think that there is always this like hum of guilt about pursuing things that that sort of celebrate that they're sort of just like oh but this is really wrong like I'm really supposed to you know, want to stay in one place and have this simple life and not go after the things that I really want. I should just be content and settle and just do it the way that everybody else does. And I, that is like such a soul crushing, like not (laughs) at all who I am inside perspective, but it's so deep inside of me that that is, yeah, it doesn't feel like I can just fully be free. There's always, like I said, this like little bit of guilt, um, or wondering if I'm being selfish or, um, you know, I'm not getting something that like every other person on the planet gets or understands, you know,
2: Um. So when we look at like these two archetypes, right? So there are two archetypes at play here that are really common. The most most basic archetypes everybody embodies is the victim and the self-judge, right? And so if you were to kind of draw this, like in your mind, what this looks like, you would see your victim in one way and your self-judge in another way. And if you were to actually do what's called a mitota or kintsugi journaling and you would write out like what your victim's dialogue was and what your judge's response was and all of that. And you put those rules out. What you'd find probably is that those judgments that other people have laid on you over time, you've actually taken them on. And to some degree, we end up judging ourselves for the same things. Mm -hmm.
0: Oh, a hundred percent. Absolutely.
2: Yes, Yes. And there's the victim who said, actually, no, this is not like I deserve to be be who I am. I am Holly. I've done all this work to be who I am. I'm sorry if it doesn't fit with anybody else's expectation of me, but, you know, I'm just trying to find my way in this world. And then there's the rulemaker, right? Who's just coming down and pushing these rules on you. And even though you're trying to push away from them and you're doing such a wonderful work at that, they're just imprinted in our subconscious. Mm -hmm. It's an energetic archetype. Yeah. And so you'll continue, which is where we feel that internal turmoil because there is no external conflict without internal conflict. There's just not, otherwise it would be a non-issue. The reason why it bothers us so much when people say stuff like that, this is because part of us is actually owning that and saying, well, what if? They're right. Mm -hmm. What if I'm not, I should have done something else. And then what ends up happening is that if something doesn't work out exactly how you might imagine it doing, then the judge has a little bit of ammo to throw back at you.
0: Yeah, like I told you so, yeah. Yeah,
2: told you that that was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so we use those experiences to build up our ammunition against ourselves and to be evidence of the fact that the judge was right as opposed to them being just an experience in isolation that's part of living.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Um, do you think there were any other rules that you, as I heard some pretty distinct ones about kind of like the medical system, like don't trust the medical system, that they're not supportive.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I it's so hard to separate like what I thought about I mean, I've been an acupuncturist for over 10 years and I think that it's so hard to like piece out if some of that is just from all of the knowledge that I've gained over the years, or if that was in my mind as a child. Um,
2: well, yeah, and that's, I mean, I, I that's what I was wondering because I didn't know if perhaps you chose to be an acupuncturist because you didn't resonate with that Western medical model that wasn't supportive, wasn't truly supportive. I mean, I do remember
0: having a, a moment where, I mean, I was never somebody that like needed to go to the doctor. So I didn't have that much interaction with, medical care um yeah. other than going for physicals and things like that when I was a child Um, but I do remember like having to make the decision between like I was gonna maybe go to med school and I was just like that is so I had already been like into yoga and like meditation and just have always been sort of more into that kind of stuff which I think is just inside of me like I have no idea why when I was young I I was attracted to those kinds of things um
2: your family's not into that at all are they
0: you know my mom has like a little witchy side to her actually um and she and I started doing yoga together um when I was a teenager and then she kind of like goes in and out of it but I've like never i've just been like kind of obsessed for since then
1: yeah
0: um but yeah she likes to do like chanting and meditation she really likes kundalini yoga oh, really um, wow
2: that's yeah i teach kundalini
0: yeah oh fun. yeah that's it's that's good stuff
2: um but yeah and,
0: and she, she's also quite like spiritual not in a religious way but i I think my perception of her was really different when I was younger from what it is now. And I do think that a lot of, um, yeah, that maybe some of this stuff that is just inside of me genetically is from her, um, that it just always felt so right to be like closer to the earth and breathing deeply and not, and being away from technology and yeah, um, but the distrust of the medical system, I don't really know exactly where that came from. Actually, yeah, I think it was later when I was a teenager and having period issues and just feeling like really, really unsupported. Um, but in childhood, I, I, yeah, I don't know.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, this whole exploration, is just kind of like a way that oftentimes those rules that we develop around ourselves, like they do kind of feed into our birth experiences in some ways. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like the way that you gave birth, you chose to birth at home. You were Mm -hmm. born in a hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, How was your family with that decision?
0: Um, Well, I told my mom, uh, I was, she picked me up from the airport. I was I came to visit while I went to visit her in Connecticut while I was pregnant. And I, I said something, I don't even remember what I said, but that I was planning to have a home birth and I was going to try to find some midwives, um, while I was there. Cause I had, I was going to move there and I don't even remember exactly what she said, but it was kind of just like, that's not safe and that's crazy. And why would you do that? And
2: we never talked about it again. <laughs> so yeah, it's called boundaries,
1: right? You're yeah. like, okay,
2: there's my boundary. I can't mm-hmm. explore this with you and connect with you on this and get your support around this. And so, therefore, you have to kind of be your own coyote. And it seems like a coyote thing to do, and it's not. It's not at all. It's it's organic, and it's how honestly women birth birth all around the world is safest place for you to birth if you're if mm-hmm. if you are at least a moderately healthy person. Um, well, like and never- I did tell
0: her. I reminded her that her mother gave birth to, um, her oldest brother, um, at home. And I think it was accidental, maybe like, I don't exactly know, depending on the years, it was sometime in the forties. Um, but I know that he was born at home and that there was a doctor that came, but I don't know if he was there for the birth, um, or just after to care for the baby, but but yeah, and then when when she um, was born, her mother had, a, I forget what they call it, like twilight something
2: maybe? Twilight sleep, yeah, they twilight yeah. sleep.
0: Yeah. So they would knock them out. And so that was another thing that was, I guess was not in the my, my memory fully of the, but it was something that I thought about that um, that's a thing that they used to do and my mom would talk about wishing that that was still available oh. and ha- after having given birth myself and gone through the experience of the intensity i wouldn't trade that shit for the world i right. mean that is such a magical transformative crazy experience can you yep. imagine
2: like just being put to sleep i that is just so i honestly feel like that is one of the many ways that when that, the, because it really was a male, doctors were, was a male establishment, right? Like the male medical establishment. If you look at when it happened, that they basically robbed women of their ability to actually like have power in their bodies. Like yeah, it's like, this is too much for you, sweetheart. You, we'll just knock oh my you God. out. Like, that mm-hmm. makes me so, so angry, mad. So, <laughs> just, well, yeah. and the thing is that in many ways, as someone who's a doula, right, and a student midwife, and I was a student midwife in the system, right, and in a system here that is supposedly much more supportive of, you know, women and birth, it's still a very coercive system. It's still a system that's based on power dynamics. hmm I mean, and even the system itself doesn't value the midwives because the midwives are paid maybe 24,000 pounds a year, which is the equivalent of about 30,000 US dollars. Mm. Yeah. In the States, they're at least paid like $70,000 a year. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ugh. I know. So it's, I mean, even the system doesn't support midwives, but it is a way that we have taken, we have been systematically t- had our power taken away from us as women for generations and now there are those of us who are trying to take it back but whenever we exercise that voice and the thing is is that you had that voice when you were a child and it was an important thing that you did because that was the voice that was going to carry you forward to be able to do what you did to birth your child Mm -hmm. because had you not been willing to kind of be who you are and be out there you might have fallen into kind of the status quo what everybody did even if it didn't feel right to you
0: hmm I mean, yeah, it's so interesting to me that there was never even like a little bit of consideration to give birth at the hospital. It never yeah. even occurred to me. And I mean, there was a lot that I did, um, you know, to sort of like prepare myself and educate myself about you know that system and why I for sure don't want to do that. but it it was kind of just to um, have like a a reason behind what I already intuitively knew, you know that's um, no, that's yeah just to have something to say, maybe when there were, I mean, there was a a lot of, um, yeah, just like negative stuff that people. Would say to me I, I mean i really protected myself a lot i didn't share it with a
2: lot of people um it's unfortunate that we have to do that because otherwise we kind of open ourselves up to that to that energy and that that energy is not we're so i feel i'm so many, in so many ways we are very porous energetically mm-hmm. um, when we're pregnant and so we have to put up this kind of bubbles of protection in order to ensure that you know we don't take on that energy that is somebody else's yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, there, yeah. Mm. I even had a therapist while I was pregnant that I love so dearly, but was so disappointed that she was kind of trying to tell me that I sh- the home birth wasn't safe and that she like had had a hemorrhage with one of her babies and was so grateful she was at the hospital. And I mean, I didn't interview her about the full birth story because there's Potential medical intervention that could cause that, um, and yeah, I just that one really was stuck with me because it's not some like random person that you, you know, it's yeah. just, just like oh, home birth is weird. It's like okay, you're
2: like yeah, and and interestingly enough, I don't know if you know who Rachel Reed is. Um, mm-hmm. she- is a midwife. She had a she had a blog for the longest. That blog still called Midwife Thinking. She wrote childbirth as um. Oh, as the rite of passage or something like. That. It's a newer book that was out. Amazing book on childbirth, um, and she had a really interesting blog post a while back that she recently kind of spoke about on her podcast. The podcast is called The Midwife's Cauldron. Oh, yeah, on- I do.
0: I I listen to yeah. that. On yeah. Spotify, yeah, 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 yeah. I like okay. didn't even realize, yeah, her
2: name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're amazing. I love them. Yeah. So one of her things was that it is possible that when giving birth in a hospital, managed third stage um is actually safer because the hormonal systems or preventative systems that our body has in place. To manage the bleeding after birth, are interrupted by the practices and the environment that exists in a hospital. So, the bright light, so the thing is, is that in a physiologic undisturbed birth, the hormone oxytocin is actually higher in that immediate postpartum period than it has ever been through the entire labor. And the reason why is because the uterus is a living ligature. And through various, it's the sh- through the shifts in, you know and in, in pressures inside the uterus, and shifts in hormone levels after baby's born, the placenta actually detaches from the uterus, and then the uterus needs to contract really well to clamp back down to stop that bleeding. Right. So we know that
1: mm-hmm. but that's
2: how it works, and so we need that oxytocin to be really high though for that to work effectively. That's how the bleeding stops.
1: Mm.
2: now the hormone that interrupts oxytocin is adrenaline when you watch birth videos and on tv or wherever right on, on youtube you see them rubbing baby hi baby give us a cry give us a cry hi you did such a good job mom oh my god she's so beautiful That's really getting you excited. And in a way, it's like, is my baby okay? What's going on? Is she supposed to be crying, right? The other thing that's happening is those bright lights, all the technology around you, our primal minds are looking around saying, is this a safe space? You've actually gone into a place where it is not your home environment. Again, evaluating, is this a safe space? And all of those things... Are potentially interrupting the hormonal shift just enough to where the oxytocin is not maximized, and the woman ends up bleeding more than anybody really than people really want her to. Mm. Yeah, does that make that's sense? A hundred percent. And right. that's why when people say that, mm-hmm. you have to look at that whole story. And this is so many women as a doula come to me as a birth worker come to me and tell me these things like oh my god I heard my sister this wasn't okay that's great and I can't tell you to forget those stories because you've already heard them but I, I also want you to acknowledge that the reality is that there's a whole backstory to that that we don't know about and there is a whole system of things that was going on in that room that we weren't present for and All we can do is isolate your situation and say, how can we ensure that you, we are able to support the physiology of your body in such a way to where you and your baby are able to maximize that experience in the postpartum period. Mm -hmm. And what that means is we want the baby to be able to get as much blood as possible from their placenta. So can we delay that cord clamping as long as possible? If you were in a hospital, they don't want to delay that cord clamping longer than at least here. They'll even do it five minutes, but they don't want to delay it longer than that because they want to be able to check off that box that they've clamped that cord. Mm -hmm. But at your home birth, I don't even know if you remember when that cord was clamped because oftentimes we leave the placenta attached to the baby in a bowl or something on the bed Mm -hmm. for a while. And then at some point, a couple of hours later, when it seems energetically that it's a good time to come in and do the weight and all of those things with the baby, then the cord is cut ceremoniously, does that make sense? Totally. Mm -hmm. Very different situation. So that's why, one of the reasons why you probably didn't bleed as much, Mm -hmm. your hormonal physiology was very much supported. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. I've never thought about it that way, but
2: yeah. Rachel Reed is magnificent. She's a brilliant woman. Yeah. Yeah. So Mm
1: -hmm.
2: how was this process for you? Was it interesting? Really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. This is the kind of cool stuff that we start going into. Do you know what I mean? And like really breaking this down and it's almost like therapy, but in a different level, it's like a coaching type therapy. Does that make sense? Like deeper than therapy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Especially with like dropping in first, I was just you know, if you just jump right into talking, like there was even that moment where I kind of went up into like, ah, I'm thinking about stuff and everybody's going to think this about me. And then I
2: was just like, no. And I'm glad you felt safe with me knowing that I was going to support you to drop back in. I'm like, yep, yeah, back go I go totally. Back yeah. And I think it was that
0: setup that made me feel that way. You know, it's yeah. like, that's, that's part of this.
2: That's what we're doing. Yeah, yeah it is. What well, I'm glad you found it beneficial. Yeah. This is so, isn't it fun work though? It's like, we've got tons of this stuff to do. So I'm like,
0: wow, I, I won't, I think it will help me like ask more interesting questions of other, yeah, people no, soon, no, you no, know? no.
2: Yeah. So the next one we're going to do, we're going to do birth art and we're going to be talking about a couple of different, uh, so the, the birth art is primarily about you looking at like drawing a picture of what birth in our culture looks like, but I might have you also do another picture alongside it. That's what your birth was what you envisioned your birth looking like mm-hmm. so that you could balance that against what You thought birth in our culture looked like, does that make oh sense? My God.
0: I already have like images swirling
2: around in my head. Yeah. yeah. But I think That's that so that cool. would be really powerful you for you to like, put those next to each other. Cause the reality is that, I mean, I don't know how your birth went with, with your daughter. Right.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's things I would change now that I'm, yeah. I'm more familiar with indie birth, but it was like beautiful. Right. Exactly.
2: um, Yeah, exactly. And it wasn't, that's the thing is that it's not exactly how we always envision things unfolding, Mm -hmm. but the reality is that we are supported in such a way to where we are able to come out like more than whole at the end of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas unfortunately, a lot of times in a hospital birth, we're fighting to maintain that wholeness and integrity and and, and throughout that experience. So, yeah, that's why yeah. what we're going to do is actually do both of those drawings. That so. sounds super cool. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. That's why I got to do pastels because I think that's really, you can do lights and darks and you can mix that with pencils and all of that stuff. So, sounds awesome. Okay. Cool.
0: Yay. And that awesome. will be the, the next time that we already have scheduled. Yeah, we already have that scheduled. Yep. Cool. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you
2: so much for taking awesome. the time to do this. this so oh, great. no. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, have a lovely evening. Thank you so much, dear. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by the Rosebud Wellness Shop. You can find us over at rosebudwellness.com shop. On the shop, you'll find six different Yoni steam herb blends that are used for a variety of different conditions. There's a blend to help with painful periods, one for cysts, fibroids, endometriosis, one for infections like yeast infections or bacterial vaginosis. There's a moisturizing blend that can be especially useful in the postmenopausal phase. There's a postpartum specific blend for the time period after giving birth. and There is a strengthening blend that can be helpful for women that have spotting issues, either mid-cycle, before or after their period, um, or for women that have really heavy bleeding. Even with all of the information that I have on the shop, it could also be useful for you to consider setting up a consult with me for a little bit more guidance, and that is also available on the shop. So again, that is rosebudwellness.com slash shop. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And also don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you'll be notified of future episodes as they're released. You can also find us over on Facebook at the Womb Wisdom Community. And also you can find out more information about the offerings that I have at my business, Rosebud Wellness, on my website, rosebudwellness.com. I offer acupuncture and Arvigo abdominal massage sessions in person in Thousand Oaks, California, which is in the Los Angeles area. And I also offer virtual Yoni Steam consults, if that's something that's interesting to you. And also you can find uh, the Yoni Steam herb blends that I offer on the Rosebud Wellness shop at rosebudwellness.com shop. So thanks again for listening. Till next time.